I'd been watching closely for signs ever since she turned 10. Have you noticed any changes in your friends lately? 11. My friends are starting to get boobs. And even more after she turned 12. Mm -hmm. I watched her friends grow curvy. It's interesting. Yeah. And their moms told me, one by one, that their daughters were getting their periods. She just told me she had had it. Hmm. They had zits on their chins and little bra straps showing under their t-shirts. Probably kind of uncomfortable. Can be. Next to them. Do you feel you are on the cusp of womanhood? My daughter still looked like a little kid. I don't know what that means. But then, right after the world shut down last spring, and we were together all the time, stuck at home for work and school, something changed. I was sitting on the living room couch next to my 12-year-old when it hit me. There wasn't anything specific I could point to. I just looked at her and knew it was time. I took her to see her doctor, who specializes in working with transgender adolescents, so she knows what to look for. But after she examined my daughter, she shook her head. She didn't think puberty was close, but she was willing to order a blood test to double check, just in case. A few days later, the doctor wanted to talk. I asked my child's father to join the call. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, I think we're both here. The doctor said she was surprised by the result of the blood test. She said it must have been mother's intuition. Huh. Because I was right. Wow. It was time. Time for the blocker? Is that what you're saying? Time for a medical intervention called a blocker. Yeah. Which would prevent her body from going through male puberty. Got it. Prevent her from looking like the boys at school instead of the girls. I'm a little rocked back by this. I mean, I knew it was coming, but wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, our little girl's growing up. I know. Yeah. Kills me. But there was a problem. The doctor said that because of COVID, the clinic wasn't doing any non-essential procedures. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. She said she didn't know when that would change. But for now... It's considered elective? No blocker. And meanwhile, the puberty clock was ticking. Well, it's called a blocker for a reason. It blocks my puberty. What puberty does it stop? Um, the wrong puberty. So if you went, if you didn't do that, then what would happen if you didn't get the blocker? I would start getting, well, my voice would change, it would be lower, and I would get more hair and on my face. Get, I would start getting facial hair. And those things are? Not what I want. In my clinic, I have just under 500 trans youth between 3 and 25 years old. I first learned about this thing called blockers at a conference back in 2015 when puberty felt a long ways out. What is one of the most common things that I hear? My daughter was still only seven years old. How can someone know their gender at this age? And I can tell you that I've heard people say that about three-year-olds, and I've heard people say it about 21-year-olds. That's Dr. (laughs) Johanna Olson-Kennedy, the medical director at the Center for Trans Youth Health, 
at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. You know how, like, when your cisgender kid was like, I'm going to try out for prom queen, and you were like, I don't think you should because we don't know if you're a girl yet? She was speaking to a room packed with parents like me. Turns out that conversation never happened. <laughs> okay, so by the age of three... Telling us what she had learned in her years spent treating hundreds of kids like ours. That really there's gender constancy that's intact by the age of three to five years old. My own child told me at three that she wasn't a boy. And everything Dr. Olson was saying... Kids who assert I am another gender... Just reinforced what I already knew in my gut. Versus I wish I were... She wasn't going to change her mind. ...is a predictor of an ongoing trans identity... Which meant that in a handful of years, I was going to need to figure out what to do when my transgender child, my little girl with a penis, hit puberty. How do we do this? You know, Dr. Olson passed around a little device so we could all take a look at a blocker. It's an implant that gets implanted into the arm between the biceps and the triceps. A tiny stick-shaped medical miracle. Three years or longer. About half a toothpick inside. And so the receptors on the pituitary gland get downregulated. That secretes a medication. That essentially hits the pause button on puberty. So it's like taking a big switch and just shutting it down. The other option for blocker medications was regular injections. You can get it monthly, you can get every three months. She said blockers were both safe. What are some of the benefits? And reversible. You can buy time. They were also really expensive. It retails for $18,000. But I was going to have to figure out how to pay for them. You know, you can buy a car or an implant. Because the outlook for trans kids like mine, who were having to endure living through the wrong puberty... These are kids who have a lot of body dysphoria and distress. ...was not something I was willing to risk. There's a lot of self-harm and suicidality in those young people because walking around and not being authentic feels really, really bad for them. Ton of psychiatric diagnoses... While we waited for the clinic to open up enough to allow for non-essential procedures, my child's doctor said we could move forward using virtual visits with the psychological evaluation process that had to be completed before my daughter could be approved for blockers. My daughter met the psychologist a few times online. She said it was boring. She also had to fill out some very long forms that asked lots of questions. Um, okay. In dress-up play, I would wear girls or women's clothing all the time, B, most of the time, C, some of the time, D, on rare occasions. What's girls or women's clothing? That's a good question. Normally, like, usually. Okay. As a child, I felt very masculine, very feminine, somewhat masculine. In my daughter's chart, the psychologist noted that she had long hair. Very feminine? What does that mean, very? Because, like... And wasn't wearing any makeup. Not the most feminine girl ever, but I'm a girl. Exactly. That's why these questions are weird. From what was visible over video, he wrote, like a certain girlish... Girliness level. She can (laughs) easily pass as female. Is that it? The psychologist eventually determined that my daughter was mentally healthy enough. All right, we passed. And apparently girly enough. Um, (laughs) 
All right, you're back. To proceed with blockers. You passed the test. You get the blocker. Who wrote those questions? I don't know who wrote them. But the pandemic wasn't showing any signs of going away. Okay. Name, date, sign on the dotted line. So we still couldn't get an appointment. Okay. What's that Adam's apple? Is it like that thing in your throat? Yeah. Where's that? You don't really, yours, yeah, yours is there. It's really small because you're a kid. Parents in my support group all get jumpy when their children hit this age. We are on constant watch, looking for signs. Will it be visible when I'm an adult? We worry that we'll miss a critical moment. Um, it'll be a lot less visible if you go on blockers and hormones. And the wrong puberty will crank into gear. Come on. And then our kids will be stuck, possibly forever, with something about their bodies that feels absolutely wrong. And only boys have them? Something that doesn't match. Men have bigger ones usually. Oh, no. um, and that the rest of the world Makes can it see bigger. too. It's, bigger. it's one of the physical changes of male puberty. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It felt like a cruel joke after all this time that my daughter's moment would arrive at the same moment when the world shut down. I decided to reach out to Dr. Zhao. All right, I'll, I'll just start throwing questions at you if that's all right. Yes. That's what we all call her, us parents. Throw them at me. Who hang on her every word at the conferences. (laughs) Everyone knows who you mean if you quote Dr. Joe at a support group meeting. I was more than a little starstruck by Dr. Olson Kennedy. Can we talk about puberty? And I hoped that talking with her might set my mind at ease. Sure. (laughs) What would you like to know? (laughs) So there's five stages of pubertal development, and everybody starts at one. This is really important. One isn't the first part of puberty. One is everyone. You're born at one. Dr. Joe walked me through the stages of puberty, which are called Tanner stages. And then um, Tanner stage two is the first stage of pubertal development. I had heard of Tanner stages before. Right, and adult development is Tanner stage five. Nobody in the general public has a clue what Tanner stages are. But parents in our support group who have trans tweens talk about Tanner stages all the time. A blood test can tell you which Tanner stage you are in and whether puberty is imminent. Dr. Joe explained what all this meant for my daughter. For trans girls, there's sometimes the perception of, oh my gosh, my voice is going to drop. I'm going to get facial hair. All this is going to happen in a month, right? And (laughs) that's actually not true. The things that are really, really difficult for trans girls are actually later pubertal findings. So your voice dropping and your facial hair development and sometimes even your growth spurt happen more Tanner 3, Tanner 4. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Right? (laughs) According to my daughter's blood test. This isn't going to happen overnight. She was only in Tanner stage 2. So even though her puberty was underway, nothing big and potentially irreversible was about to happen to my transgender girl. So we still have some time? Yes. But for trans boys, things are more urgent. In people with ovaries, the first 
change of puberty is chest development. And that actually is one of the worst things for them. I mean, I had a kid who wouldn't come out from under the bed because he had breast buds, right? And it was just like crumbles him. And so chest development for trans boys happens 10 or two. That's the first stage. So for them, it's it's different. You're racing a kind of different timeline. For trans girls, the first change of puberty is testicular enlargement. And generally trans girls aren't like, oh my gosh, my testes went from four cc's in volume to five cc's. My life is over. You know, that's not usually, (laughs) that's not usually how that rolls out. (laughs) Okay. So how old are the kids that are getting blockers? Um, If you are designated female and you identify as a boy, the average kid like that in my practice, I'm blocking at 10. Hmm. And the average trans girl, I'm blocking at 11 or 12, just because puberty starts at different times, right? For different bodies. Okay. Yeah. I felt a lot calmer after talking to Dr. Joe. My daughter was 12 and her doctor said she was a bit of a late bloomer, which I had already guessed. It also helped to talk with the other parents in our support group A lot of them had already been through this with their kids. They all said the implant was no big deal, really. A simple procedure in a doctor's office. A couple of stitches. And it wasn't going to cost as much as a new car, thanks to the hard work of local transgender activists. Since 2014, insurance companies here in Washington State have been required by law to cover transgender health care, which means that we are very lucky. In over half of the other United States, there are no such laws. Can we talk about blockers? Do you want like a 101 on how they work? Yeah, 101 blockers. What are blockers? Perfect. Okay, so what happens in puberty? What happens in puberty is part of your brain that has been quiescent or quieted suddenly becomes louder. Your hypothalamus, this part of your hypothalamus that secretes a hormone called GnRH or gonadotropin releasing hormone has been quiet from around the first year of life until puberty. And in puberty, the hypothalamus starts secreting GnRH again. And that's important because that particular hormone talks to another part of your brain, your pituitary gland, and tells your pituitary gland, hey, it's time to tell the gonads to make sex steroids. So the pituitary gland secretes two additional hormones that then travel through the blood to the gonads and cause the gonads to respectively ovaries to secrete estrogen and progesterone and testes to secrete testosterone. Okay, so just make sure I understand all this. So puberty starts because the brain, the hypothalamus in the brain, starts producing a hormone called GnRH. Yeah. And that the production of that hormone kicks off a process that results in the production of either testosterone or estrogen. Yes. And then all the changes, the physical changes that that come with that. Yes, exactly. But what's the most critical thing to understand is that this is not happening in a steady state. Your hypothalamus makes GnRH twice a day. So you have two peaks that these hormones come out and then the hormones of the gonads come out twice a day as well. So twice a day, your body's surging with estrogen, and twice a day, your body is surging with testosterone if you have testes. 
the reason that your body creates things in pulses is so that the feedback loop can work. So when you have a pulse of GnRH, then you're going to get a pulse of sex steroids. And when your body has a higher amount of those sex steroids, it tells your brain to make less GnRH. And then when that signal goes down and there's less hormones, it feeds back and says, we need more. So it's all on this feedback loop. So how do blockers work? Well, we call them blockers, but that's actually a not really an accurate name. Because when we use central blockers, what we're doing is giving you a biosynthetic version of GnRH, exactly what your hypothalamus is making. But rather than getting it in pulses, you're getting it in a steady state. But what happens when you give something steady state that would have normally been in pulses? You actually shut down the system. You desensitize it right? Because you're, you're basically on a consistent feedback loop that says we don't need any hormones, right? And so you desensitize those receptors on the pituitary gland and they go away temporarily. And then you stop sending a signal to the gonads. And so you stop making sex steroids. All right. I think I got all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now the $64,000 question. Yeah. Is it safe to give this medication to my child? So we've been using central blockers for a very long time, decades, more than 40 years. These really are safe medications. And we give these exact identical medications to five-year-olds. We started using GnRH analogs in central precocious puberty. So when kids start puberty at five and six years old, there's a whole host of reasons we don't want them to be in puberty at five and six years old. We also use GnRH analogs in adults for situations where we don't want the body to make sex steroids. For example, prostate cancer, right? Prostate cancer is exacerbated by testosterone. And so we give them hormone blockers, these same medications. Endometriosis is another good example. So endometriosis is exacerbated by estrogen. So we give these central blockers so that people don't make estrogen. Okay. So let's flash forward now to gender dysphoria. So in the Netherlands, this really amazing team of three women in the Netherlands had been treating and taking care of trans adolescents for a really long time. And what they noticed was that it was going through and getting these undesirable secondary sex characteristics that caused a lot of havoc for people. So, you know, your voice going down, getting facial hair, getting a taller stature, getting big hands and feet, getting an Adam's apple. These were things that were really, really difficult, if not impossible to walk back at a later time. And so the Dutch said, what if we could just not have that happen? So they started giving these kids blockers. Yes, exactly. It also gives them a little bit of breathing room because we're not comfortable with giving, you know, a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old hormones. It gives them some breathing room to really talk about moving forward and what that means for them. And, and I think it's, it's really important, you know, to understand that puberty blockers are reversible. So if someone went on puberty blockers and then decided to stop, we would just... 
either remove their implant or stop giving them injections and they would resume their puberty um, where it left off. So in the Netherlands, they started doing this in the late 80s. They They were really the first ones to do this. And in 2006, they published the Dutch Protocol, which included the use of puberty blockers for part of addressing gender dysphoria in youth. And we started using them in the United States for this purpose in 2006. What's your understanding of the the procedure of the blocker? What is it? I think I get a shot and then they cover it off and then they don't let me look at my arm and I watch TV while they cut me open and put the capsule in it and sew me back up. So it makes you feel good to think about being distracted. It does, but I'm still scared. Are you scared? What are you scared of? I don't like shots. Yeah, I think there's one shot involved. Yeah. And then afterward, what'll it be like? You'll have I'll what? have a little like hard thing in my arm, I guess. Right? Yeah, I think it's like a little tiny stick. It's like almost like a twig, but almost like the size of a toothpick. It's not very big, is it? They're pretty small. That thin? It's pretty small, I think, yeah. You can barely feel it under the skin, I think. Yeah. For years, people have asked me about this moment. About the decision I would make when she hit puberty. They'd ask, are you going to let her do the medical stuff? How will you decide that? I have never really known how to answer this question. How to explain my decision. Because decisions are things that you make when you have more than one viable option. So I know this is kind of hard to talk about, but can you explain to people why it would be so bad for you to go through male puberty? Well, if you are listening and you don't approve of this or whatever, like, how would it feel if you were forced to go to the puberty opposite of the one you went through and you're happy with the one you went through? Like, imagine if you had to go through boy puberty and grow a beard and deepen your voice and grow taller and get broader shoulders, it wouldn't be you. It wouldn't feel good. So that's why I need to go through the puberty that I need to go through or want to go through. Because I am who I am, and I can't change that. Unless you sit in rooms with trans kids and trans adolescents and young adults, unless you have a trans kid or a trans adolescent or young adult, You don't understand the level of distress that people have. You do not understand it. What what don't they understand about these kids? What's happening to them? Well, some of them are dying. I mean, that's just real. Some of them are dying. They're taking their own lives. Other kids are in a world world of chaos. People are figuring out ways that are very maladaptive to try and manage their gender dysphoria. Um, There's just astronomical amount of self-harm. And blockers help to alleviate that pain? 
Yes. Do you feel like this is a choice? What do you mean? Well, you said that you want to go through female puberty. I have to go through it. You have to go through it? Yeah. It's who I am. After a couple months of excruciating waiting, my child's doctor got in touch and let us know that the clinic should be opening up again soon for non-essential procedures. So we could finally schedule her blocker implant. But first, the doctor said she just needed to talk one more time with me and my child's father. Hello. To go over a few final things. It sounds like we can finally move forward. But it was really just one thing. Fertility. Mm-hmm. Sure. She explained that pausing our child's puberty with blockers would not impact her fertility. That's good to hear. Yeah. Nor would introducing estrogen if she opted for that down the line. We're fine for all that, right? And frankly, I'm sure she will. The thing that would impact her fertility was bypassing male puberty. Right. Right. The doctor explained that if my child wanted to have her own biological children, she would need to go off the blocker medication and proceed through nearly all of her puberty as a male, right up through most of the higher tanner stages, the ones where she'd grow a beard, develop a prominent Adam's apple, and her voice would drop. The whole shebang, huh? Yeah. If she didn't go through the bulk of her puberty as a male, the doctor said, it was almost impossible to expect that she would ever be able to have biologically related children. So that's just kind of her reality, huh? Yeah. The doctor said there may be some studies being conducted on fertility preservation for trans youth. Is that even an option? But she wasn't aware of any. Okay. It all sounded... Highly experimental. I guess we'll just have to look into it and see. A long shot. But for now, we'll just move ahead. Yep. My daughter has known about this for years. She was only seven years old when she asked me how she was going to have kids. How she was going to make babies. And I told her the truth. If she wanted to grow up into a woman, then she probably wouldn't. So you think you're going to be a mama someday? Yes. I hope. These days, my daughter tells me that she doesn't think she wants kids. At least I think so. But she's only 13. I told her she may feel differently one day. And we talk a lot about adoption and how that's a wonderful way to become a parent, too. But I'd be lying if I said this wasn't hard. It's a heartbreaker for most of my friends who have trans kids. Because, like all parents, we want our children to at least have the possibility of having the things that most people expect to have one day, including biologically related children. I might want to have one kid, but I'm going to get one. Okay. And it's going to be mine. I think you would be a wonderful mother. 
the fertility thing is one of the main arguments employed by people who oppose medical interventions for trans youth. They say we should not be jeopardizing our kids' potential for reproduction. They say we have no right to mess with their future fertility. In response, all I can say is this. I wish every single day that there was another option. I wish I could give my daughter what she has always wanted, to have simply been born with ovaries, born a cisgender girl. But life doesn't always give us everything we want. Trans people choose between bad and bad every day, every day. Am I gonna live my authentic self and deal with discrimination and harassment and verbal threats and violence and possibly death? Or am I gonna live inauthentically to avoid that? Well, that's a terrible choice. Nobody wants to make that choice. Do I get to have my wrong puberty blocked and I get to develop like my peers and go through the correct puberty one time? Or do I not get that and go through all through a wrong puberty so I can have developed sperm and biological children? Well, that's a terrible choice. Human beings hate having to choose between bad and bad. And so I think this idea that, you know, that, oh, yes, maybe someone, you know, got blocked and they went on gender affirming hormones and they were able to live their life in a way that felt truest to them and the most authentic. And then the rest of the world's going to get hopped up because we impacted their capacity for reproduction. Right. That's that's what happens. That really is what it is. I spoke with Dr. Joe several months ago, just as this issue was starting to get lots of attention in the media with conservative state legislators around the U.S. proposing that we ban all medical interventions for trans youth. Since our conversation, one state has actually done that. If we lived in Arkansas, it would be illegal for my daughter to get a blocker. A lot of the arguments you hear are that this is trendy, that we need to protect impressionable tweens and teens who are going online and learning about the transgender thing, and then adopting it like they would a hairstyle or a new band. I get a lot of emails from parents who say, your kid always knew, your kid told you at age three, mine didn't say anything until she was 14, so it must just be peer pressure. It must be a teenage phase. But I really want people to know that most transgender kids are not like my daughter. She's in the minority. The reality is, is that while children, trans children, have gotten a lot of visibility in the last 10 years, most people that are seeking services are not coming in before puberty or even around the onset of puberty. They're coming in on average at around age 16, 15 or 16. It, it tends to grab more attention when we talk about children, but that's not really most people coming in for services because there still is not, there's not a good pathway that has already been hewn for trans kids to put their gender puzzle together at a young age. They are still existing and growing up in cisgender normative environments that assume everybody's gender is gonna match their designated sex at birth. And, and children have a unique proclivity to understand how what they do and say is gonna be received and how they're gonna be treated because of it. 
And and so this is, it's so critical, right, for people to recognize that this process of coming to understand and, and then articulate about your gender is going to occur at different ages. So what about all these transgender teenagers that are popping up? Is it trendy to be trans? It's not trendy to be trans. It's not desirable in the society to be trans. You don't win any awards for it. Adolescents make dumb decisions in adolescence because there's perceived or real rewards for those things. Adolescents make stupid decisions about hood surfing and the cinnamon challenge and whatever, the Tide Pod challenge, because there's a perceived peer reward there, right? There's no reward for being trans. It's hard. It involves medicine for your lifetime. It involves surgeries, involves money and resources that many people don't have. It's very hard. There is anti-trans discrimination alive and well. It is a threat to your well-being and to your survival. So why anyone would make that decision on some kind of a whim is, is a mystery to me. I think that it is true that Gender bending is trendy. I think it's trendy to, you know, for girls to wear bow ties or change their gender appearance. And and that's fine. But those kids aren't in distress. They're not in distress. And those kids aren't coming for medical interventions. They're not showing up in your practice. No, they're not. But that's what people are saying, right? Well, they're wrong. They're saying that because they don't do the work or they're freaked out about their trans kid. And we always, we perpetually underestimate the capacity for young people to know what feels right for them. And we also think of this as like, oh, well, if we accidentally made a cis kid trans, that's like the worst possible thing, right? This is often, it's often framed as like, what if we make this mistake? Right. And, and let's be clear. What if it is a mistake? Let's talk it through. What does that even mean? It meant you were in a world of distress and we addressed that distress in the best way that we knew how with the tools that we had at the time that we had it. And then you no longer were in distress. And if you're in distress about some of the changes that happened from that, we are going to address them at that time also. A human existence is a series of corrective maneuvers. And I in no way mean to minimize the impact that hormones have on people, but my experience as a clinician taking care of young people is that the majority of people by a landslide feel better on gender-affirming hormones. That's just what I've seen. And you cannot not provide care For the majority of the people, because a small minority, that's going to be true for. You just can't do that. We don't do that in any field of medicine. We don't make decisions about an entire field of medicine based on a very small percentage of people who this is not going to be the answer for them. And even those people, even those people who have retransitioned, that I know of personally in my practice, those small number of people, say this about it. I don't regret doing what I did. I had to do that. I had to go through what I went through to get where I am. I had to answer that question. And that's, that's not nothing. That's important. And it honors those people. 
What's happening tomorrow morning? I'm getting my blocker. I've known this day was coming since my child was four years old, and she broke down sobbing when she learned that one day she would grow a beard like her papa. And I promised her that I wouldn't let that happen. I promised her that the doctors could give her medicines one day to prevent that. Over the years, she has asked me again and again about those medicines. Was it time yet, Mama? No, sweetheart, it isn't time yet. Don't worry. But now it is. Does it feel weird that it's finally here? It does. Now it's time. Is it kind of exciting? Like, definitely. It means you're growing up? Yeah, it does. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. Well, it's hard to talk about this issue because I I know how lucky we are. I know that most kids who need blockers can't get them or can't afford them. And I know this is the right thing for my daughter. I know it. I know she needs this. And at the same time, it just it makes me so sad. Yeah. That she needs all these medical interventions just to be herself. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, you know, the sense of like, oh my God, this is going to be my kid's life. And God, my kid has to take medicine to get what everyone else gets without taking medicine. Right. And that's so painful, right? It's so painful. And it's unfair. Yeah. It's so unfair. And I feel like I can't talk about that because because I worry that people will think I'm doubting whether this is the right thing, and I'm not. But am I thrilled that my kid has to have a lifetime of medical interventions just to be herself, just to be okay? No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If she had cancer, I certainly would make sure she got chemotherapy, but I'd be pretty devastated that she needed it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. If your kid had lymphoma and you had to like, if she had to undergo chemotherapy, your whole family would be rallying around you and your kid would get all kinds of teddy bears and blah, blah, blah. But instead, it's it's isolating. It's isolating and the heat comes down on you as a parent, right? Because like, yo, you should be, and you are making the best decision for your kid and you are promoting health and happiness in her. You absolutely are. There are like five of us who recognize that. (laughs) And your kid will too. Your kid, because here's the thing. Your kid doesn't know any other life than being trans. And that's protective. That's protective. For your kid, she gets to live her best life because of the decisions you're making. For your kid, there is no, I didn't have to take a blocker because I was fine with my puberty world. That's never been her world, right? Yeah, it's really true. How are you feeling now that you've got your blocker? Um, the place where I got the blocker sometimes is sore. Putting pressure on it hurts, but it's healing really well. I'm glad I got my blocker. 
Well, thank you so much, Johanna. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Probably when your daughter's ready to go on hormones. I'll be <laughs> pinging you again then. Yeah, totally. I love it. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Speaking of hormones, my daughter is eager to start hers. She's excited to catch up with her peers. Let me go some breasts. And her doctor has recommended that she start on a low dose of estrogen soon, so she won't be the only girl starting high school with the body of a 10-year-old. What, what commonly happens now is that trans girls go on blockers at 12, and, they, and their doctors are like, and at 16 we'll add hormones. And it's like, great job getting into Dartmouth, you'll have your breasts next year. And that's really, that stinks, that's really hard for people. If my daughter is okay sharing her experience with starting estrogen, We'll let you know how that goes. But she's pretty darn private these days, so I can't make any promises about that. We will all just have to wait and see. She did give me permission to share everything you have heard in this episode. I'm really proud of you. You're growing up. Thanks, Mom. I'm Marlo Mack. Mm. And this is How to Be a Girl. You're beautiful. I love you. I love you so much. Thanks to my amazing editors for this episode, Whitney Henry Lester and Erica Heilman, host of the fantastic podcast, Rumble Strip. Thank you so much to my supporters on Patreon. Thank you for all your beautiful emails and for just being out there in the world, supporting us and supporting all the kids like mine. Wherever you may live and whatever role you may play in their lives, however big or small, they need you, and your love makes all the difference. They also need your voice and your vote. More anti-trans legislation is on the way, and I'm afraid we'll be seeing it again soon in state legislatures around the country, seeking to ban the medical care my daughter needs and to bar her from participating in girls' sports. You can stand up for my kid, and for all the kids like her, by telling your elected officials that you think that's wrong. If you're interested in spending more time with us, you can check out my memoir, which is also called How to Be a Girl. It's an audiobook produced with Audible Originals, and it's also coming out soon, this October, as a good old-fashioned printed book. And it's available now, too, for pre-order wherever you buy your books. Until we meet again, take good care. And thank you so much for listening.